I write this account with a heavy heart, a tale born from the shadows of a mission that blurred the lines between duty and the haunting specters of war. We were a Navy SEAL sniper team, deployed behind enemy lines in Israel, working in tandem with Israeli commandos. Our objective was clear, gather intel, disrupt enemy operations, and remain unseen in the unforgiving landscapes of Gaza. Days turned into nights and nights into endless stretches of silence. As we lay concealed in the shadows, our camouflage blending seamlessly with the harsh terrain, the psychological toll of remaining hidden, observing the ebb and flow of life on the other side, was as exhausting as any physical demand our training had prepared us for. My gaze remained fixed through the scope, observing the eons, old dance between the cities, the sounds of distant prayers mixed with the occasional bursts of gunfire echoed through the air. It was an eerie symphony, a testament to the perpetual struggle that unfolded beyond our hidden vantage point. One moonlit night the tranquility shattered. A whisper in the wind carried tales of an enemy sniper, a phantom in Gaza known for his mind games. His reputation preceded him, tales of psychological warfare that left adversaries questioning their own sanity. The silence morphed into a surreal anticipation as we became aware of an unseen adversary playing a deadly game of cat and mouse. Days turned into sleepless nights, with each member of our sniper team taking turns on watch. We felt the unseen eyes of the enemy, a disconcerting presence that transcended the physical realm. Shadows seemed to move independently, and every shift in the wind carried a threat we couldn't quite grasp. Then it happened. A shot, distant yet thunderous, echoed through the silence. The bullet narrowly missed one of our own, a chilling reminder that we were not alone in the darkness. The mind games had begun. As the days passed, the psychological warfare escalated. Whispers in the dark, shapes that danced at the edge of our vision, and the relentless anticipation of an unseen adversary weighed on our minds. The line between friend and foe blurred in the obsidian night. Survival became our only mission. The enemy sniper, elusive as a phantom, kept us on edge, wondering if the next step we took would be our last. It was a game of wits, and we were pawns in a deadly chess match played on the borders of war. In the end, we survived, but the scars were etched, not just on our bodies, but on our souls. As I looked out over the contested land, I couldn't help but wonder, would our encounter with the elusive sniper impact the overall war between Israel and Palestine? Was the psychological trauma we endured a microcosm of the larger, enduring struggle that echoed through the ages? The war continued, a relentless force that swept through the land like an unyielding tide. Our mission was a drop in the vast ocean of conflict, a story whispered in the hidden corners of a war-torn world. As I left the shadows behind, I carried the weight of those days with me wondering if our encounter with the Phantom Sniper would ripple through the annals of history, a fleeting moment in the eternal dance between nations. Mm -hmm. 
My cousin and I were on our way home from an event one evening and decided to take the lake roads home because it was dusk and we knew the lake would look so pretty and serene. The particular lake we drove around is still decently surrounded by the woods, so there are lots of dense areas. We were driving past this giant field next to the lake that was lined with trees or woods on three sides when she screamed at me to stop the car and back up. Her scream practically made me jump out of my skin, but I agreed and backed up confused. She looked all frantic, so I asked her why she made us back up, and she claimed she saw some kind of animal, but it wasn't a normal animal. She said it was standing on its back legs like a bear, and that it was huge and covered in white fur. Whatever it was wasn't there by the time we'd backed up. She's kind of a skeptical person, and I'm more the one who believes in the crazy stuff so seeing her so freaked out had me thinking she definitely had to have seen something. And I knew there was a legend of the Lake Worth monster in that general area that dates back to, I think, maybe the 60s. So my brain immediately jumped on that. The next time I saw her, we both got on Google so she could see what comes up when you type that in. I'll never forget the way her mouth dropped open. She claimed it looked just like what she saw. This was a few years ago when this happened, so I don't know if other people have had any recent experiences or not, because I haven't heard anything. But it's something I'll definitely never forget. I was walking through a majestic redwoods forest in California, soaking in the tranquility and beauty of nature. Little did I know that my peaceful hike would take a dramatic turn, plunging me into a heart, pounding encounter that would leave me questioning everything. As I strolled along the winding path, the forest embraced me with its towering trees and the gentle rustling of leaves. Suddenly a noise shattered the serene ambience jolting me from my reverie. My senses heightened and my heart skipped a beat. Something was approaching, something fast. Before I could react, a massive figure burst into view, sprinting at an incredible speed. It was a Bigfoot. In those fleeting seconds, the enormity of the situation struck me and fear gripped my every thought. My rifle resting casually on my shoulder was now a stark reminder of my vulnerability. It remained there untouched and useless as the Bigfoot swiftly disappeared into the depths of the woods. The encounter happened so abruptly and unexpectedly that there was no chance for me to raise my weapon and defend myself. The realization sent shivers down my spine, but what perplexed me even more was the reason behind the Bigfoot's panic. What could have scared such a creature? Its wild sprint through the forest conveyed a sense of urgency, as if it was fleeing from something relentless. The creature seemed completely unbothered by my presence, as if humans were inconsequential in its world. My mind raced with questions. What unknown danger had crossed paths with the Bigfoot? Was there a larger threat lurking in the depths of the forest, unseen and menacing, I couldn't help but feel a mixture of awe, curiosity, and deep unease. It was 2007. I was with a couple of my friends camping. I was 16 and was just with some 16. 
18-year-olds on this fun camping trip out in the woods behind some of these guys' houses. We picked a spot in the clearing where it would be like a little party kind of sight, although I don't do drugs or even smoke weed or any of that. I grew up with that going on all around me, so I tried to avoid it, but nobody brought weed or anything along, I don't think. So we all hung out in this clearing with three different tents set up and with a fire pit in the middle. We had planned to spend four, five days. It was summer vacation, so we didn't have school. I think this was early August. Anyway, we all decided to hang out in the clearing roasting marshmallows and everyone but me having beers. I sat around making s'mores and the sun was just beginning to set and we were all having a good time. At around seven or so, we heard something moving in the bushes nearby, and someone threw an empty beer bottle at the bushes. We heard the smash and watched something climb out of the bushes and lumber back into the trees. We thought it was just some psycho person, but everyone got a little bit nervous. Later that night, I was asleep in the tent with three other people. The only person I knew was my friend, Paul, who invited me along. I remember everything being silent, and then I heard a sort of popping sound by the fire, and we all sat up, crawling out. We could hear people in the other tent's voices saying the F was that. Paul unzipped the tent, and we crawled out. The fire, which we had put out at about an hour or two ago, was now roaring with flames. We put it out and thought maybe someone poured gasoline all over the fire and lit a match or lighter and lit the fire. But we never heard the gas pouring or a match being struck lighter being flicked. We also didn't hear anybody running away because we would have heard them. It was at this point there was an awful smell, but had a stuffy nose and couldn't make it out really. It may have been a skunk, but Paul said one of the other guys said, It was like rotten meat, but we had not smelled it earlier or since. Some other people began holding their shirts up to their noses as if a pungent smell had just appeared. We were all a little on edge, but I guess some people agreed with it. Let's just stay here. Nobody brought any guns to fend ourselves off, but one guy, who was about 18, said he had a pocket knife. Our second day here, nothing happened until it became night again. At around 4 a.m., we were all fast asleep and awoken by noises behind our tent. We started to get out when Paul said, shut the fuff up for a minute. We sat in silence listening to the noises, which sounded like voices I couldn't make out. The voices seemed to be coming closer to us, and we quietly climbed out of the tent. The voices still approaching our camp. The two other guys in our tent crept to the other tents and woke the other people up, telling them to get out here at once. All thirteen of us stood quietly listening to the voices get closer and louder, at the point where they had gotten behind our tent, we heard the voices stop, but an eerie humming noise was coming from the trees all around us. One of the guys, I think named Ben, who was 17 or 18, walked to about 10 feet from the tree line where the voices had been coming from. He said, Oi, who is there? And we quietly waited for a response. We heard nothing except distant crickets. He walked back to us, and right then we heard the voices moving away, which to me sounded like what Ben had asked Oi. Who's there? But it didn't sound like Ben moving away, almost like something was trying to mimic what he sounded like. I could hear the voice sort of crackly and jumpy repeating those words as it moved off into the distance. We all got back to our tents, but didn't sleep. 
The next day, someone had left to their house to grab something. They came back a little later with a potato gun saying he'd shoot the F out of the thing bothering our campsite. Around 7 p.m., not really partying, but just huddled around the fire, a girl, just one of two, stands up, practically pissing herself, and we find out what's wrong. Here's one of the similarities I found with the well-known Goatman story. She said that last night, when we were listening to voices, there was another person with us. There was 13 of us now, but she insisted that there had been a 14th. Reading the Anansi Goat Man story and connecting that experience later made my butt clench. We all started to get nervous again, and Ben told us he was going to run back to his house. He and Potato Gun Guy were neighbors, and he said he was going to get his father to come out here with a gun and wait. Someone went with him, and Paul and I were just talking to each other about how we could leave early. If shit got too chaotic, which is was starting to get to now. We were in the middle of talking about how we should pack up when we saw Ben standing in the woods. It was clearly him with his blue hoodie and jeans, and he was looking straight at us from about 40 feet away. But we didn't know what the fee was doing. The person who went with him wasn't standing next to him. It was just him standing alone watching us. It was a 25-minute walk back to his house, but he couldn't have been back five minutes later. Everyone got really uncomfortable, and people started yelling, Hey, Ben, what are you doing? But he just kept watching us. We watched as he seemed to slink back into the trees. By now, people were scared out of their minds, and I was, too. Why was Ben being a prick and just staring at us and not doing anything? We decided to pile into one tent and wait. A short while later, the other Ben turned up with his dad and the other person that went with him and his dad was holding a hunting rifle. Ben told him what happened with the voices and the father walked that way into the trees and took a look around. He said it felt like eyes were watching him from every direction. Paul then told Ben's dad that we just saw another Ben standing in the woods staring at us. Ben's dad walked over there and looked around too. He came back and said he could stay with us in the gun, but said he would control it because if we got drunk and started shooting a gun around, we'd all kill ourselves. He slept in Ben's tent. It was our third night here, and it was really creepy. We quietly listened for it being anywhere nearby. Paul had a funny look in his eyes and started sweating. He later told me that while we were all sitting around, he saw a strange figure moving through the woods, moving its arms around in a strange, jumpy motion. Around 2 a.m., we were all going to get ready for bed, and we heard it. It was saying something, but in a highish voice. It sounded like it was saying, Oi, who's there? Completely mimicking what Ben had said the night before. Ben's dad tried to pinpoint where the voice was coming from and fired a shot into the trees. That gunshot was loud as if. Right after, we could hear a creepy chanting like male voice. I was scared. Paul was scared. Everyone was. The chanting sounded like a deep voice chanting, so not multiple people. Underneath the chanting, we could hear something mumbling noises. Again, another shot was fired, but I saw what Ben's dad was shooting at. It was a figure crouched low by some bushes. It looked like a direct hit. But the figure did not move. Instead, it stood up, sort of hunched over, and moved back into the forest. We raced back into our tents, and I could hear crying and moaning coming from right behind our tent. 
All four of us in the tent were getting scared, and then I could kind of smell a strong vinegar smell that was very powerful. Then I noticed what looked like fingertips moving along the tent wall and to the door and moved down the zipper to grab the part you used to open. Paul dove over to the zipper and held it down as whoever or whatever tried to pull it open. Paul and one other guy in the tent started yelling, Who's out there? And after a minute, we could hear a screeching noise as this thing took off into the darkness. We decided to save the fourth and fifth day. Let's get out of here in the morning. Here's the scariest experience of that night. At 3.45 a.m., checking my watch, I had to go pee. Since what had just occurred not long ago, I decided I wasn't getting out of the tent and maybe I could stick my bird out of a small zipper opening. But then I pictured whatever it was out there biting or ripping my thing off, so I decided to open up the tent, slither outside just slightly, and pee to the side of the door. As soon as I was finished, I noticed someone by the furthest tent away. I grabbed my flashlight beside my pillow and turned it on and shined it towards the person. It looked like Paul back-facing to me, hunched over by the tent. But Paul was right behind me sleeping in the tent. I crawled back inside but kept my light shined on the other Paul. I whispered, Paul, wake up. In the moment he did, I looked outside to see the other Paul stand up and turn facing toward me and stare at me. I dove back in and leapt under my sleeping bag and huddled there awake as I explained to Paul what I had just seen. I guess at one point in the night I was facing another way and was freaking out, but one of the guys in the tent said he woke up. Eyes still half-closed as he rolled over. He could see. The other Paul looking through the part in the tent flap I didn't close. He thought it was just Paul coming to wake them up, but realized the real Paul was asleep right beside him. We packed up and left. I had spent 20 years in park in recreational management. Currently serving in the National Park Service as a superintendent, I've seen and heard many strange things while working in the backcountry. This email is to report an encounter I had with a cat thing while in the backcountry. This occurred during the winter of 2010 and going into 2011. It was in the early afternoon. I left the ranger cabin and traveled four and a half miles up the trail to a backcountry emergency shelter. This shelter is a replacement of the original shelter, which burned down in the late 1980s. It had been seen by many users, but the last six years especially, I had really been the only person to stay there. I arrived at the shelter by 4 p.m. and immediately got my gear outside. I was working on my snowshoes when I heard a distant bellowing howl. It was a howl that I never heard before. I am very well versed in all the howls of wolf coyotes and other animals. But this was different, way different. It was much deeper, had a lot more growl and distortion to the timber. It was definitely not a wolf, elk, bear, or any mammal that I'm familiar with. For the matter, the noise was a bellow howl that went for about a minute with a slight pause between the bellows and howls. It was a very, very strong howl. But also, as terrified as I was by hearing this, I was curious. I grabbed my pack and my snowshoes, began walking toward the source of the vocalization. I walked about three, 
fourth of a mile to a large rise on the ridge line. As I walked towards the ridge, that's when I began to notice several deer carcasses. Deer, by the way, are abundant in the area. I see them all the time. We actually have several types, but the most common is white tail. I immediately thought something was hunting them. Upon closer inspection, the three visible carcasses I've seen were very horribly mutilated. What's also more strange is that the corpses were not eaten on. They were just ripped up. The doe, the closest one that I was to, had her neck ripped open and her head was missing. Something visibly tore this animal's head off, but there were no bite marks or claw marks on the animal. It just seemed like a brutal kill. Something wasn't right. As that thought is in my head, I hear and notice the bellow howl again, and this time it appeared more powerful and closer. I decided to get up the ridge and see if I could see what was responsible, assuming that the bellowing and howling was the creature responsible. I quickly moved up the ridge, but as I neared the top, the bellows and howls happened again. Only this time they were getting even closer. I approached the ridge top and heard the noise coming from a small meadow. As I looked across the small meadow, I, I noticed this creature. It was standing on the other side of the ridge top. It was this strange-looking thing. I call it a cat because that's the closest that it resembled. But it was far too distorted, far too different. It was much more like if you mixed a person or a human being with a lion and a mountain lion. I very visibly remember the brindle coloring and the mane around its neck. It was definitely larger than a mountain lion. The animal was facing my direction, but at about a 45-degree angle. I could see its front quarters very well. As I watched it staring at it intently, it never appeared to move, and the sound it was making completely stopped. And the entire time I was staring at it, I was trying to process what animal am I seeing, but I could not make it out. It was on all fours and looked very, very strange. I want to say I was probably there for five minutes, but in actuality... I was probably only staring at it for maybe 30 seconds, at 45 at most. The thought had occurred to me that I better leave now, before whatever this giant cat is notices me and decides to make me its next meal or do what it did to the deer. Now as I'm going down the ridge line, I could hear something coming up the hill behind. I turned around and looked up the trail. There were two deer running. When I turned back down, I could see the cat now moving in my direction. So I walked quickly to the far edge of the ridge and saw this thing now walking about 75 yards. As it walked up the hill, it would stop every few steps and look back at me. It continued this walking, looking behavior until it was completely out of sight, far over the ridge line. I stayed there for about five minutes and I never heard it bellow or howl again after that. I very hastily walked back down the hill, packed up my gear, and began my six-mile walk back all the way around the cabin, the long way. I've never seen this creature again, and I think it's safe to presume that this was the creature's territory and it was hunting the deer, because the portion of backcountry I was on, that entire ridgeline, is very untouched. It was a portion even I'm very unfamiliar with. As the years have gone on, I've told a few friends and colleagues. They're convinced I just saw a mountain lion from far away. But if it really was a mountain lion, we're talking about a severely deformed mountain lion, 
I know what mountain lions look like. This was not it. I have seen many mountain lions in my career. I do think it was hunting the deer on the ridgeline, and possibly I irritated it. I've also come across several other eyewitness stories similar to mine describing a creature very similar in the National Park Service, but have never come across any real concrete evidence of its existence other than my one eyewitness story that I have myself. And this is why I'm sending you my email. I've never heard of any cryptid sightings in the Smokies, but I have seen and heard of several unexplained phenomena. Several of my co-workers have also, at different times, witnessed strange lights over the mountains at nighttime. In fact, there was one instance where a park ranger, a friend of mine, and his girlfriend saw a UFO over the park. I myself have never seen such a thing, but I take his word for it. He's an older gentleman, single, not married, and has no reason to fabricate any story, nor is he much of a storyteller or jokester. He's also very, very serious, especially when he tells that story. He went into more detail and described it like a large black triangle craft that kind of hovered over the park and then just faded out, as in it just went translucent and disappeared. I know there's a lot of weird stuff that occurs out here, my sighting and experience included. Keep up the good work. I was riding back from a three-day stint out in the desert with my squad. We were assigned to protect a convoy that was carrying vital supplies for our own troops. I don't know what it was exactly, but they told us if anything happened to those trucks, then the war would have been even more devastating than what it already is. I just work as an officer, not some military strategist. Anyhow, being out there in the open desert with nothing but you and your squad mate is pretty disconcerting, at least to me anyway, with all these strange sounds coming from everywhere. One can easily get scared, especially during night patrols when everything falls deathly silent. Except it was not, as I was leading the convoy through our last night patrol for those three long days without any incident. Or trouble from anyone. We were just about to call off the guard duty and rest up for a little bit when it happened. It was me who spotted them first as my squad mate slept. As usual, I had to take watch. They weren't exactly hard to miss with all their lights and everything, but there were four of them. These big, bright, metallic yellow orbs that kept following us everywhere, even if we tried to hide behind the hills and other obstacles, their position was given away easily enough. I told my team members, but they didn't believe me at first until they saw them, too. They said these things must be scouts from an opposing military force. I was not so sure, and neither were they. We did not see any other military personnel that night. These things made their way to us slowly, but we remained calm. That is, until they began glowing brighter and more intensely. It then dawned on all of us what exactly these mysterious floating orbs were. The next thing we heard was a loud screeching sound coming from one of the things, and immediately after another one started doing the same, while two others remained silent. This went on for minutes before they suddenly sped off towards our base, which sat miles away from where we currently were. 
We did not know if whatever gave them such bright light had caused damage to our camp or worse, infiltrated it, and by the time we got there an hour later, everything seemed normal. We even questioned our commanders, and they confirmed that there was indeed a sort of strange light that came from the direction of where we were patrolling, but they did not know what it was. All I can remember is them telling us to forget about it, to get back to our homes, for we were dismissed by the higher-ups. It only took me a moment to realize what exactly those lights were, before my squad mates told me that they were pulled in by their superiors, and they weren't lying. I'm a professional trucker named Murrow, and my days are spent on the road, transporting goods across vast distances. On one particular night, I found myself cruising along a desolate highway in the heart of New Mexico. The darkness enveloped the landscape, and the only company I had was the hum of the engine and the occasional flicker of passing headlights. As I drove, my eyes caught sight of something peculiar in the distance, a pair of glowing lights. Curiosity peaked. I maintained my course, steadily closing the gap between us. The lights grew brighter, revealing the outline of a massive creature occupying the road. Its sheer size was astounding, standing at a towering nine feet. The breadth of its shoulders alone could span four feet, showcasing the immense power it possessed. Even from a distance I could make out the details of its form. Stringy hair clung to its body, but beneath the wiry strands, I glimpsed the rippling of muscles flexing with each movement. Its thighs were as robust as tree trunks, exuding an aura of raw strength. The creature's neck was hardly discernible, leading up to a conical-shaped head that seemed to merge characteristics of a gorilla and a Neanderthal man. Its long arms swung with an otherworldly grace, emphasizing the creature's uncanny blend of primal and humanoid traits. As I approached, my instincts told me to slow down. I cautiously brought my truck to a halt. To my disbelief, I watched as the creature feasted upon a coyote, tearing into its lifeless body with a ferocious hunger. The sight was both awe-inspiring and disturbing, a primal reminder of the harsh realities that exist beyond our daily lives. Suddenly, as if sensing my presence, the creature's gaze snapped towards me, its eyes locked with mine, and it emitted a bone-chilling shriek that pierced the night air. Without hesitation, the creature sprinted towards the nearby woods with a speed and agility resembling that of a human. Its departure left behind the grotesque tableau of a dead coyote sprawled across the road. I sat there in stunned silence, my heart racing as I tried to comprehend what I'd just witnessed. After a moment, I mustered the courage to step out of the truck and approach the lifeless coyote. My curiosity overwhelmed my fear, and I inspected the remains, hoping to find some clue to the nature of this enigmatic creature. The torn flesh and scattered bones only deepened the mystery, leaving me with more questions than answers. An eerie chill ran down my spine, and a wave of trepidation washed over me. Hastily, I retreated to the safety of my truck, my hands trembling on the steering wheel. In that moment, I made a silent vow to myself, swearing off alcohol forever, 
The encounter with that creature had shaken me to my core. I work as a ranger here in Arizona, and I went backpacking to the Grand Canyon this past October. I put on the most conservative clothes I could, thinking I would blend into the landscape the best. I did not even shave for three days. And kidding, I'm just trying to make a funny enlighten the story. I had a three-day permit and just hiked into the Grand Canyon, hiking along the southern rim and camping at the bottom. I day hiked back and out at the end of the permit. I did run across more people than I thought I would. Figured I would have a better chance of telling my story to people who aren't from around here, so I kept my permit for three days. As stopping in the El Tover Hotel for dinner, I decided to sit at the bar and talk to the folks next to me, who happened to be Canadians. I told them I was a ranger, and we were talking about the Grand Canyon and backpacking for a little while. Then one of the guys that I was talking to told me he had a really strange experience in the canyon a few years ago. I thought to myself, here we go. Okay, I'm going to ask him a bunch of questions, get some more details, and write it down in my journal. He went on to say that they went into the Grand Canyon a few years back and were coming up the South Kyber Trail, bouncing down the trail and enjoying the day. When his friend saw a man running from a fire behind him up the hill, very panicking, frantic, and he said to his friend, this guy who's apparently barely clothed and had a very manic, crazy look to his face, went right by them, did not see anything, did not even acknowledge their existence. He said that his friend and him had a very weird feeling and kept moving. There was a river running along the trail, and there was a bridge that goes over the river. They came across the fire department there, putting out a campfire that had grown out of control. They almost wonder if the man that walked past them was the man who started the fire and was retreating. So as they kept going, going down the trail, it was now beginning to get dark about five miles. They were also about 6,000 feet, and they both saw a huge dark figure standing in front of a rock. It was blocking their way. Almost what frightened them the most was along against a rock as they made their way down to the bottom. They both described a large, dark figure, black skin, huge red eyes, about nine feet tall and moving on two legs like a man. They just kept moving, trying to stay calm and get to the bottom. Again, it was also very dark, and they had three more miles to go. Once they got there to the bottom, they were knocking on the door frantically, and a park ranger came to the door, asking them if everything was okay. They weren't sure if they saw a bear or what, but I guess the ranger was convinced they just saw a large bear, even though they were adamant about what they saw, and that it was not a bear or a misidentification, and how terrified and shook they were. I thought you might find their story interesting. They told me they never told anybody about it because they were convinced they were going to be the laughingstock. But they had also told me, too, in conversation. They have some friends who are Apache and Navajo, and both admit there's some pretty questionable things going on down in the canyon, even more so at night. It's probably best to stay away. I'll give you my creepiest camping story. It was over 20 years ago in southern Missouri. Me, 17, and a friend, 16, were out camping. 
We were at least a mile and a half from our truck. We were also at least two miles from the nearest farmhouse. We had set up camp in a small clearing in dense old growth. Clearing was only about 25 feet across. Our fire and lantern light reached the trees, but couldn't penetrate into them. It was dense, and yet still had a lot of undergrowth. It was almost midnight, and we were about to go to sleep when we started hearing movement near the camp. It didn't sound like a deer or coyotes. It sounded more like a heavy person walking around. We were armed, but we were getting really nervous. My friend called out, Who's there? And the walking stopped. Then we heard hoo-hoo, ah, to one side. Then on the opposite side, we heard a very similar call. It almost sounded like something you'd hear a chimpanzee or an ape make. It made the hairs on the back of my neck stand up. My friend's eyes were huge, and he mouthed what the F was that at me. I shrugged. I had no clue what that was. We were shining our lights at the trees, but even our flashlights couldn't penetrate the forest. My friend yelled out again, Who the F is out there? And that's when it got even weirder. We heard the hoo-hoo, ah, call again. But this time it was followed up with an ear-shattering crack. It sounded like something was slamming a tree with another freaking tree. It was loud, about as loud as a rifle shot. Then it happened two more times, just as loud. It did not sound far off, yet we still couldn't see anything in our lights. There was again another answering call from the opposite side of the camp. That one seemed to be coming from farther away than it did the first time, though. It also seemed to have moved around a little closer to the first one. We were still shining our lights around, but never did see anything. Didn't even make out any movement in the light. It was just too dense. We kept hearing movement in the woods, but it was moving away from us. After a little bit, all was quiet again. We never did sleep that night. The only thing I can equate the calls we heard that night are to a chimpanzee or an ape. It's the only thing I've ever heard that sounds similar to what we heard that night. Yet it wasn't exactly the same as chimps or an ape's. Those loud cracks we heard sounded like a wooden baseball bat hitting a tree. But way louder... I've heard cougars, coyotes, deer calls, and everything else native to southern Missouri, and still I had never heard this before. And still haven't heard anything like it since. I still don't know what we heard that night. Probably never will. This happened back in 2011 to my dad. His job involves a lot of travel, so he's almost always driving alone from sunrise to early dawn, depending on the time zone. When he stops at a restaurant around 8 in the evening, he frequently places his things on a table and proceeds to the toilet. By the time he gets back to his table, he notices two servings of complimentary soup. He questions the staff why they place two bowls of soup when he's the only traveling. The staff puzzlingly replies that when my dad went to the toilet, a long-haired lady dressed in white exited the car and proceeded to the toilet as well. He just brushes it off, finishes his meal, and then continues with his travels, but not before one of the staff cautions him to be careful. While driving, a suddenly downpour obscures his vision, and just when he was about to make a curve, one of his front tires breaks off. 
Thankfully, he managed to control the car and manages to stop the vehicle, which was inches away from falling into a deep ravine. So it's 2 a.m., dark and raining really hard. He grabs a flashlight, searches for his tire, does some makeshift repairs, and hobbles the car to the nearest town for repairs. I don't, if the two events were related. When my dad told me about what happened, I immediately thought that he might have encountered Banshee, a spirit that heralds death. But it's a big world out there, who knows? I was about ten, twelve when it happened. Can't remember exactly. I was coming home from school, and as I entered my building, an unfamiliar man in a black jacket followed me inside and started walking up the stairs behind me. I wasn't spooked out because I had lots of neighbors and often saw people I didn't know. The thing was, I live in a flat that is in the very top part of the building, and no one else lives on that level. So when the man didn't stop by the last flat below mine, I was immediately alarmed. But being a 10 or 12 year old, I didn't do or say anything and just kept nearing my flat, hoping that maybe he was an acquaintance of my parents. I don't recall exactly how I felt, but I know I was not nearly as terrified as I should have been. He was on the landing when I reached the door. I rang the bell and my sister opened. The moment the man saw that there was someone inside, he turned around without a word and started walking downstairs. Relieved as hell, I hurried inside. My sister, 15, 17 at the time, noticed the man and asked who that was, and I just mumbled I didn't know. We never talked about it again and didn't even tell our parents. It was only some time later that I realized just how badly it could have ended if the flat had been empty. Pretty sure we saw a dead body floating in the water once around 17 miles east of the Treasure Coast in Florida. We had just finished up a great day of offshore trolling for Mahi and were heading back inshore, running about 25 knots. We weren't paying very much attention at the time as we were in the open water and primarily using the GPS for navigation. I'm not sure what caused me to look. But as we are cruising along, I happened to look off the port side of the boat and saw a yellow blob about six foot in length floating on the surface of the water. I alerted the captain. We slowed down and turned around to go back and check. It was starting to get late and the sun was almost completely down. We were unable to find what I'd just seen, so we continued our trip back to shore. Two days later, I saw an article in our local paper about a fisherman who had been recovered from the water, and he was dressed in yellow slicks with a yellow rain jacket. When they pulled him from the water, I'm convinced his body was the yellow object I had seen on our trip. When I was in high school, I was really into photography. Around this time, I was 14 years old and a freshman. A few years prior, our family had moved in a new subdivision outside Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Our subdivision backed up against a large forested area, and the entire surrounding area was largely a mix of forests and farms. 
One of my hobbies was to dress up in camo and hang out back in the woods with my camera, trying to take photos of wildlife, deer, foxes, shit, even squirrels. There isn't exactly a lot of exotic wildlife in Wisconsin. I had been doing this for a while at this point and had constructed, no joke, a sort of ghillie suit out of old Army BDUs and some deer-blind material cut and pinned around my body. I even had segments of blind material on my camera. One day I'm making my way back out of the woods to the road that dead ends into the woods from our subdivision. A small part of our subdivision was older, maybe 1980s era. This short road or spur came from this older part of the subdivision, penetrated maybe 100, 200 feet into the woods, and ended. If you were entering the woods from the road, you would drop down a few feet into the woods after stepping off the asphalt. Coming out of the woods, I had just reached the bottom of this short incline to make my way up onto the street. When I saw him, an old man standing there, alone, staring at the ground at the end of the dead end. I still don't know why I froze. The neighborhood was friendly. Everyone said hi to everyone. I still can't imagine why I wouldn't continue up the road and say hello. Instead, I froze and then, almost automatically, took a step backward, almost as if I had hoped to blend back into the woods. I stood there watching the man. He was looking at the ground, thinking like he was contemplating something. Then out of nowhere he said, And I shit you not, I will never forget these words. Man, I spit on his grave, he hawks a loogie and spits on the ground. A few more moments passed with him looking at the ground. I finally mustered up some courage and stepped forward a few steps, pretending like I hadn't just been standing there but was working my way out of the woods. After three steps, my movement caught his eye. He seemed somewhat startled and slightly annoyed aggressive as he responded to my hello with a well hello. You certainly like to sneak up there on people, don't you? His tone was assertive, like an old grandpa about to scold you. I apologized and we spoke for a minute or two about what I was doing in the woods. Then he wrapped up the conversation, got in a car that I remember being something an old man would drive a Buick or something, and drove off. As he drove off, I snapped a photo of his license plate. I turned around, walked back to five steps or so we had drifted from where I saw him standing, and on the ground, in the dirt, was this weird symbol. I can only describe it. It was a triangle with a cross on top of it, and the letter C inscribed inside the circle. I took a photo of it, too. I still have no idea what any of it was about. This was 2001 before the Internet was really as robust as it is today when it comes to finding random things like this. All I know, there are processed and stored Kodak Tri-X 300 negatives of the photos I took of the symbol in his license plate stashed somewhere back at my parents' house in Wisconsin. If anyone has any ideas, I'll be head back for Christmas. Maybe I should dig them up. Navy sonar technician here. I've heard weird shit all over the world. One time while doing a deployment to Asia, we were steaming west on our way to Singapore. I 
and it was about 17 local time, right after chow. Me and a buddy are shooting the shit in sonar control on watch, just me and him down there, and the underwater comm starts chirping. Dolphins, no big deal, they like to ride the bow, and make a bunch of noise next to the sonar array. Trust me, you get used to that shit. We continue shooting the ship, talking about stuff back home, what food we miss, that kind of thing. Suddenly we hear this really low grumble, and we actually thought someone was around with a 1MC, the ship's general announcing system, because it sounded like someone was dragging a microphone along a jacket or something. Then we realized it was coming from the underwater comm system, because sometimes a dolphin chirp would cut it out. Suddenly the grumble turned into kind of a groan, like it changed inflection. Then we hear a loud whooshing sound. The groan got really loud, then nothing. Both the groan and more unnerving, the dolphins, were completely quiet. We checked our sensors right after, thinking maybe it was a contact, but you could tell the way the sound was traveling by the bearing changes, that it was moving erratically. If we hadn't heard it, we would have written off the weird bearings as whales. We went active to try and see if maybe it was a sub and the bearing was something else, but we didn't see it again. That was definitely the weirdest one. As the witness slept in her apartment, she suddenly awoke feeling a strange oppressive atmosphere around her. She opened her eyes and saw a humanoid figure bending down over her. The figure was short, about 130 centimeter, and looked intently at the witness. The figure had a grayish-green pale facial complexion. It had large dark pupil, less eyes. Heavy skin folds covered the head and body of the creature. It had what appeared to be a thin beard and appeared to be elderly. A second humanoid now appeared next to the first one. This one was somewhat shorter and appeared younger. Both resembled aged gnomes. Both figures then floated back from the bed and vanished. At this point, what appeared to be a tennis ball-sized sphere of light appeared in their place. The sphere disappeared into the next room and then flew out an open window. I work at sea. Last month we came into dry dock to carry out refit and repairs. Dry dock is when a ship is brought into a lock, the gates closed and all the water pumped out, leaving the ship high and dry on the blocks, thus allowing repairs, inspections, etc. of the underside of the hull. Next to us was an old military frigate being broken down for scrap. She had arrived about two weeks prior to us. Once the frigate was on the box and dry, all of the crew left the old girl to her fate. A sad sight, but that's how these things go. Once all the sensitive stuff had been removed, the dock workers were free to go on. The dock foreman, John, went on board first with a camera to take pictures of work areas. He took a couple of hundred all in all. This was one of them. He later sent all of the pics to his boss, who upon seeing this one called John straight away, asking who is the guy with the axe at the edge of the camera flash. John had no idea. He never saw anyone. The area where this picture was taken was in a cross alleyway deep inside the ship. He was going around with a torch and a camera. When he'd go to take a picture, he would turn off the torch 
leaving him in total darkness. Snap the shot, turn the torch back on, and be on his way. Due to the fact that it was a military vessel, the police were called. A search was carried out, but no one was found. There was one way on and off the ship, and that was by a gangway covered by CCTV. You couldn't jump over the side as it was a 25-meter drop onto concrete. No one was seen to leave the ship after John had taken a photo. I am a skeptic. Maybe it's a trick of the flash reflecting off something. But if you really zoom in, you can just make out the F.S. face, ear, collar of his jacket, and the axe in a meaty fist. Now it could be John blowing smoke up my ass. But when he was telling the story, he seemed genuinely rattled. And the guy in the pick looks nothing any of the other workers we met at the dock. If someone who is handy with cleaning up pictures, I'd be really interested to see what you can pull out of it. And before anyone asks, I'm not going to name the ship or even where she is, as I'm not sure if I'm supposed to have a picture of the innards of a military vessel. This gave me serious goosebumps. Needless to say, I did not go on board for a look. Eva Trent had fallen asleep when she awoke to a buzzing sound. Opening her eyes, she was horrified to find two strange creatures standing on either side of her bed. The entity to her right was about seven, eight feet tall, weighed about 300 pounds, had apparently no clothing and seemed to have either crocodile or snake-type skin. The creature to her left was identical in appearance, but smaller in height and weight. They seemed to be communicating in a chirping manner. Each of the entity's eyes glowed. Eva quickly discovered that she was unable to move. As she stared at the two creatures, she found that either one or both were giving her instructions telepathically. The nature of this was seemingly for her to create mentally visual scenes of various kinds, and then they proceeded to distort that particular pleasant scene in a perverse manner. Apparently, the creatures were intent not only to observe her emotional reaction, but also possibly to feed off the energy that was produced. After a while, Eva began to mentally resist the mind manipulation and began to pray earnestly. A short time later, she fell back to sleep. The next morning, the witness found five of her music tapes grossly distorted as if extreme heat had been applied. However, no evidence of fire or odor was present. I was 11 years old, and it was the first time I was home alone late at night. And obviously, like all great scary movies, it was thunder and lightning out on this specific night. So I'm sitting in my living room watching TV, trying to pretend like I'm not terrified. Ignoring the lightning and thunder when I hear it for the first time, a bang on my front door. It's loud, and immediately my heart stops. I try to ignore it and go back to watching TV when again another bang. At this point, I'm shitting my pants. I don't know what to do. I'm 11 years old, no cell phone to call anyone, and if I get up to use the landline, I have to walk right past the front door. This goes on for literally like an hour, just loud bangs on my front door. Sometimes, just one, sometimes a couple in a row. Finally, I'm like of it. I'm making a beeline for the phone and calling my pap, seeing when he's going to be home. I sprint past my door and hopes whoever the murderer at my front door is. 
Won't some home see me cross the hallway ten feet in front of him and dow my dad? Tell him what's happening, so he comes home right then and there. I sit in fear, frozen next to the phone for until he gets home. He finally comes home and lets me know the reason I've been shaking in fear for the past hour. It is cause I forgot to close the screen door and it's been swinging in the wind off the house back and forth. F me right. He still makes fun of me from time to time about it. When I was 16, around 20 years ago, damn I'm old, I was an angsty teen and my dad wanted to go camping with me to reconnect. He let me invite a couple of my friends and we camped out in this groomed spot that was adjacent to a neighborhood. It wasn't a real camping spot, so to speak, more like a wooded area in a populated area that was carved out for recreational camping. I call it city slicker camping. Anyway, we made camp and had dinner. Later that night, an argument broke out between my two friends, and I took one of them, Nick, out with me on a walk to cool off. It was around midnight, and while we were in a relatively populated area, my friend brought along a replica gun as a form of protection. Being a replica, it couldn't really protect us, but we figured that if we ran into some unruly people, we could scare them off with it. Very stupid. I know. Well, during our walk, we somehow made it out of the camping area and made our way into the adjacent neighborhood. By this point, it was getting really late, and we had been walking for a good hour and a half. Earlier, we had passed by what looked to be an old elementary school when Nick started telling me ghost stories to freak me out. It worked. This went on for a little while until I got so freaked out I wanted to head back. Because I was a scared little girly boy, I demanded the gun from him, and we decided to head back. By this time, it was closing on 2 a.m., and we were passing by the elementary school again. Just a quick for your information, we were walking on a paved street. We decided against walking on the sidewalk because we were rebels and there was zero traffic out. Anyway, as we passed by the school again, we both heard a ringing sound. I had no idea was it was at first, but it was a little ways behind us. We both turned around at the same time, but saw nothing. We were thoroughly spooked by this point and started walking really fast back to camp. We were still a good hour and a half away, so we had a long way to go. As we walked faster, we heard the ringing again, but it was much closer. Judging by the sound, I figured it was around 20 or 30 feet behind us. We both stopped in our tracks and looked at each other. It wasn't a planned move, but I think since we were so spooked already, we didn't want to just turn around. We had seen enough horror movies to know what happens when you just turn around after hearing a creepy sound. After making eye contact, we slowly turned our heads to look at whatever was making the ringing sound. We saw a little girl, not more than ten years old, riding around on a bike. She didn't look supernatural or anything. She looked real as any other little girl, but she was wearing a very thin dress and she was riding a bike around in circles. I'd come to the conclusion that the ringing sound was from a bell on the bike. It was relatively cool out and I had a hard time staying warm, wearing a thick sweater and hat. This girl was in a pale dress, frilly, and was riding around on a bike at close to 2 a.m., 
spooky as hell. But since she wasn't see-through or have glowing eyes, we kind of relaxed a bit. We both turned around and started walking again. But after a few seconds, I heard the ringing sound again. But it was really close to us at this point. Like right behind us. I turned around very quickly to ask her one simple question. Why are you riding around at night following us? But no one was there. It was like as if she just vanished into thin air. Sounds corny as hell, but hey, that's what happened. I turned around, and from what my friend tells me, I was as white as a sheep. I guess he knew something was wrong, and he just started sprinting. I was already thinking the same thing, so I was right there with him. We made it back to camp in nearly half the time it took us to get out there in the first place. All the anger from the previous argument had subsided, and it was just us recounting our ghostly tale to my dad and buddy. Good times were had after that, but I will never forget that experience. I'm sure there is a logical reason behind what happened, but it's still fun to think about it, and on occasion it still creeps me out. I live in the middle of the nowhere, like get Google Maps up, zoom out four times before you see anything but green around my house. In the United Kingdom, my house is also over 300 years old, and I have a couple things to share. I'm self-employed, so I spend most of my time alone out here while my mom, who I live with, the house is legally mine now. But I also grew up in it. Is it work? None of this is supernatural at all just creepy country folk. So I'll start small. There are the old foundations of some stone houses up on the hill behind us, dug right into the rock, the same rock our house is made of. Incidentally, me and my childhood BFF used to hang out up there in what we imagined to be the basement of this long-gone house. All that's left are some eroded stone steps down and the indentation in the hillside of the basement or foundations. We didn't do anything, really, except sit and talk. We went up there every day for weeks one summer, and then one day we both get this very powerful sense of dread that we shouldn't be there. We both said in our own way that the fairies didn't want us there, huh? British kids? I know I, at least, could almost feel the force of someone's dislike for my presence shoving at me. And then suddenly... We're just running. I honestly remember very little. We were sitting there suddenly freaked out and then hurling down the hillside across two fields over my garden gate and inside the house in what felt like seconds but had to be minutes. I must have slipped at some point because I had cheek poop streaked all the way up my side but I don't remember falling. LMAO, I'm 27 now and I flat out won't go to that place. I'll go around it. I'll go near it, but I am not stepping foot in what I feel like or its boundaries. Never again. Two, we've had search helicopters hovering low all around us and over the wood for nights in a row, and have never been told what they're doing. Spotlights, the works, nothing on local news. Sometimes I can't help but feel like there is something going on there. Other times I think, nah, it'll just be training ops. I don't know. Seems like an intense training op, if so. And at 11 p.m., 2 a.m.? 3. 
Another time we went walking in the woods, as we often did when I was younger, and found a dirty mattress just lying there in the dirt. Thing is, this wood is not bordered by any roads at all, nor do any pass through it. To get a mattress deep into it like that, you'd have to park half a mile away from the tree line and drag it over at least two fields, including climbing the fences, and then up a hill through densely packed trees and brambles. No idea why someone would do that. I mean, I know getting laid is a big deal and all, but there are other woodlands around here closer to the road. Often at night, something will land very heavily on our roof and scrabble and skitter across the tiles. Not like talon scraping, which we're used to, but the skittering of a four-legged mammal. It's loud enough to wake us both up and spook the cat badly. There's really no way for anything that doesn't have wings to be landing on our roof, though no trees overhanging at all. It'd be easy enough to climb the gutters, but this thing sounds like it's landing from a height. All I can think is that owls are dropping the feistier rats they catch on our roof by accident, but it seems like a stretch for that to happen so often. Can't comfortably explain it. Gives me the creeps. On nights after I've heard it, I'm always more reluctant to go outside after dark. Three, some sort of beetle or something has been eating my window frame. Like chunks of the wood are missing. I hear it start to click away at it at night. But when I open my shutter and try to spot the little bugger, there's nothing to be seen except the bite wounds on the wood. Four, we had a neighbor, three fields over, who was a big-time child psychiatrist in the 60s, but who, when she was at her conferences, used to leave her son outside alone in the car for six, seven hours at a time in all weathers, the pair of them both creeped me the F out. Well, he still does. She collected dolls like a classic horror movie weirdo and had UV-sensitive skin, so had to wear a raincoat, elbow-length gloves, a sun hat, and shades in all weathers. Literally couldn't have been better nightmare fuel for a child. One time I cycled past her house and she was just standing full raincoat on her doorstep with her arms outstretched and her head down, face hidden by the hood of the coat, perfectly still. But in truth, I think she was actually harmless, just a little weird. Her son, though turned out to be an S-offender, if you know what I mean. Five young victims that we know of after his mum died, and he still lives in her house, two fields over. Sure does feel safe. Five, a little girl walked up and down the nearest road calling for her daddy. Not distressed, just like a bored kid who was being kept waiting. But I have no idea who she was. Nobody around here has children or grandchildren. Went to find the closest neighbor's number so I could alert them. And she was gone by the time I'd finished speaking to them. Five, guy closest to us one field over, has had his hunting dogs taken off him by the RSPCA three times. He keeps them in a tiny sheet metal shack with no outdoor access except once a week or less. When he takes them hunting, he keeps managing to get more despite the court order, and you can very often hear him screaming at them and them yelping. To end on a light note, I have really disturbed sleeping habits so tend to work from 7 p.m. 5 a.m. most days and will usually still be awake until 6, 7 a.m. One such morning in October last year, there's a very heavy frost, 
a light mist. It's just early enough for the birds to still be quiet in the trees. I'm riding upstairs, and I hear this long, low, guttural bellow. Nothing like a cow. All I can describe it as is it sounded like the sound effects they use for dinosaur noises in Jurassic Park. Silence. And then another bellow, this one louder and longer. I'm quietly freaking the F out because in 26 years in the countryside, I know my animal noises, and I've never heard anything like this. For a surreal moment, my brain just can't fit that noise into any sensible form of reality. And I actually, seriously, honestly believe some sort of time. Slip dinosaur or F, a stranded alien, is injured or dying in our field. The bellowing sounds again, this time ending in a high-pitched wail, even more like a movie dinosaur than before. I carefully make my way downstairs and outside into the garden, which would definitely get me killed in any horror movie. It what I was thinking. I tiptoe in the direction of the noise. Now a series of low, throaty rumbles, rather like a bear, totally ready to find myself at the center of a major world event, or else a major government cover-up. And I see. The stag. It was a stag. His harem had strayed, and he wasn't happy about it. It was a stag. I feel certain that most Americans would have already guessed that. But man, in the United Kingdom, to see deer in the wild is honestly very rare outside of certain limited locations. They're the only deer I've ever seen around here, let alone herd. And he was amazing. Like I'd only ever seen stags like that on postcards and in documentaries. Breath steaming in the cold, huge rack of antlers, head tipped back all the way, and just yelling at the sky. His doe a deer... A female deers turn out to be around the back of my house, hence him aiming all of his unearthly bellows in our direction. And I just stand and watch, stunned as the three of them bounce over the fence and rejoin them, and they all just melt into the tree line. I'm 31 years old and from central Pennsylvania. But this story takes place back in September of 2008, when I lived in Ohio. At that time, my best friend Sierra and I went to a state park named Hawking Hills Inn for a day retreat from our busy lives. We had decided on this at random when we first got together early in the morning just after sunrise. It was a nice warm late summer day, and we just got the wild notion to go for a drive to Hawking Hills, since the area is well known for its several walking trails. A cave or two and several waterfalls and running water creek areas. The day was very warm, maybe roughly 70 degrees Fahrenheit, 21 degrees Celsius. So we had worn shorts and short-sleeved t-shirts. We started down a trail at random and found that part of the trail had been washed out, so we had to take another path, which, according to our phone's GPS tool, would force us to cross a small country road. As we played with our mobile phones and noted it was roughly 12 noon EST, we happened to be passed by a group of seemingly odd backpackers before we reached the road, and one of the people gripped my shoulder and turned me around to warn us to be aware of a wash out up ahead if we were going to. Take the trail into the woods instead, the person who stopped us. 
let go of my shoulder and recommended we follow the trail nearby, which would go next to the forest fire. Lookout tower instead as it bit past a small clump of downed brush. As we crossed the road to the tower trail, we noticed there was caution tape all over the fire tower. There was a pungent smell in the air which we could not identify. The windows on top of the tower appeared to be taped up grimy and there were flies all over the area. We walked past it, commenting on how odd it was and continued down the trail we had been recommending to take, but it was one neither of us had noticed before on a previous walk to the area. This trail took us past the fire tower and then cut into the woodlands. As we walked into the forest, maybe 1,500 feet or 457 meters or so, we took notice that no one seemed to be around, and in fact not only did we feel isolated from others, but we felt very chilled without explanation. Sierra pointed it out verbally while I was thinking it, but we just continued walking. Eventually the air started to get noticeably chillier and damper. This did not seem unusual at first, but as we continued to walk, the air seemed to go from warm to what felt like the mid-fifties Fahrenheit or 10 Celsius, and we started to shiver. It was also getting darker as we continued forward. At first, I thought it was just due to the green leaves on the trees and maybe a passing cloud overhead, but the darkness really did not improve as one expected. As we walked, we looked around and there was nothing but trees on all sides. There should have been a forest edge somewhere, as the area wasn't really that big, but aside from some hills and tall pine trees, there wasn't a real ending to the woods like we expected, as the area tends to be narrow, and normally you can see the edges. My friend took out her phone to use her GPS, because she instinctively felt lost, but her battery was nearly gone. I took mine out of my back pocket, and it had no signal. The battery was also near dead and showed a uh, for the time, meaning it couldn't update as it was an older style flip phone, with a camera and when set to auto-adjust would contact the mobile phone network every 15 minutes. It was only then, as the light grew dimmer, that I noticed the area seemed very silent, our footsteps. The leaves we stepped on, grass, twigs, and our breathing just echoed. Sierra got spooked, and I did too. She mentioned it was very out of the ordinary, and I agreed, but I couldn't shake this sense of foreboding that something was amiss. I tried to rationalize it, but I really honestly couldn't figure any of it out at all. We just pressed onwards, and after going down a small hill and back up, it seemed to have gotten a lot darker. The world seemed to have gone from just shadowy to near, twilight darkness. My friend grabbed my arm and started freaking out about how weird it got. Then the air seemed to have gone still, and we had a feeling of something wrong. We both took off running, looking for an exit. For some odd reason, we never thought to turn around at all and just got back the way we came. It never seemed to occur to us as we ran, but the spookiness continued as we could hear our steps echo off the area, as things just felt like they grew more gloomy. Then ahead of us, down another small dip in the trail, we could see two large honeysuckle bushes on either side of the trail like a gate. We made a mad dash, mostly where they're pulling me, for these bushes, and just as we pushed through the plants, something odd happened. 
We were overwhelmed by a change in our surroundings as light, sound, and warmth returned all at once. It was like stepping outside of a cold, empty, and dark building onto a warm, busy street. We stood at the edge of a place known as Ash Cave, which has a large waterfall not too far away, with a U-shaped cliff. I turned around to look back from where we emerged, and while the bushes were the same, the area was so different, brighter, not silent for sure, and warm. In fact, our skin was cold to touch, which just reinforced the facts. We took out our phones, and the time had finally updated. It was now 4 p.m. The normal trail would only have taken an hour to walk fully, so it was a loss of three full hours. Logic attempted to set in, and we decided the trail we came up with must have just appeared creepy because there may have been clouds overhead or a storm blew by, but when we went back between the bushes, there was no trail. Nothing looked like it had a few seconds ago. Sierra walked around the bushes twice, and it was the same bright, sunny day with no darkness and no trail. We waited. It was blue sky overhead, and we could see the edges of the forest and other people. The trail had simply vanished as if we had never walked it. On returning to the normal trail with the washout, we ended up locating an offshoot path which took us back past the fire tower. It was here we noticed it was normal looking as the windows were not taped and very clean and there was no pungent smell. We don't know what it was, but it certainly was creepy. Of course, I jokingly told her later that day, over dinner, we had entered the fairy realms by mistake and were lucky to get away. She didn't find that funny, of course, but either way, we both felt we should share this with you. And if anyone out there has had a similar experience, perhaps they can provide insight or share their own.